Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Let's welcome the one, the only, Robin Altucher. Today we have Robin Altucher. She is the wife of James Altucher. She's an investor, a mom, a world traveler, and she's here today to tell us all about it. And it's her first time on a podcast. Robin, welcome. I, oh my gosh, watched you guys pretty much all summer long with you guys doing those lives together. I absolutely loved you as an addition. Oh, well, thank you. I'm nervous when I'm, you know, talking with a big mic in front of me. I'm not used to it like James is. So I didn't say much because I just, I don't know, I was a little intimidated. Yeah. What is it like being a part of his viral sensation? Well, it's interesting. And every day is a new day. You never know what it's going to be like. So it's just, it's fun. It's never the same. Oh my gosh. So one of my favorite stories was when he said, when he first met you, he wanted to sleep with you right away. <laughs> okay. That's Do you remember that when he shared that on Instagram live? Like what was it like when you guys first met for you? Wow. Well, you know, I met him first by reading his book. I didn't know, you know, I've never had heard of him and I just read his book and I thought, wow, I would really love to meet somebody like him. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know his personality, but just by reading his book, I thought, wow, he has a great heart and, you know, very transparent and very honest. And that's what really impressed me about him. Then I joined a meetup, you know, for investors. He was one of the first, he spoke at the meetup. So I wanted to go and meet him. And that's what I did. It was just like that. It was just, you know, friendship. And then it just turned into something else after I had broken up with someone I was dating and he had broken up with somebody. And then we went to dinner and I was just, I asked him to, to do this because I had some big questions about some of my investments and it was a three hour dinner and it just turned out from there. It was just, I don't know. It was great. So we haven't been apart ever since except maybe for one week. <laughs> How did you get into investing? I was widowed in 2015 and I was living abroad. When my late husband passed away, the company said we had to repatriate you and the kids. So they said, where would you like to live in the US? And I chose New York because my late husband was from New York City. And I thought it would be a great place for my kids, being a multicultural place. So from there, I hadn't worked as in a job for a long time because I was a you know stay-at-home mom. I, I had a business before I you know moved abroad, but I sold it. So I was always involved with community. You know, I was widowed at 50 years old and it's like what do I do? I, you know, to start all over again. And especially in New York, you know, it was pretty crazy that I moved there. But I thought, well I'm just gonna just start trading stocks, my own money. So I decided just to sell all that stock and just start trading. And 
I traded, day traded for a little while. That was scary. Then I got into cannabis stocks, but it was at the right place at the right time. And so I did very well. Did you have an advisor or did you read no. books? Nope. How did, did you it. figure that out? I don't know. I just started to research it. And I was in front of the TV all day long watching the stations, CNBC and anything I could watch. And then I just read up on the cannabis. And it was just a sort of a good time to get him into it. I, I think I was just lucky. I think about it now and I go, wow, I can't believe I did that. Also, though, becoming widowed at 50 sounds really scary, too. Right. Yeah, I mean, I was married, you know, for 18 years. The things had changed a lot since I <laughs> was single. And to be widowed, at, you know, single at that age well, with three children, no less. So, it, yeah, it wasn't easy and it was terrifying. And I never looked back. I just moved forward one foot in front of the other. Now, I moved to New York City, which was like, that was crazy. My family, my brother-in-law, I mean, I'm very close still to my in-laws because I did marry my He's my third cousin, so really his family was my family. So I'm still very close with them, but they, they're all from New York City, and they don't live there anymore. So they're like, what are you doing? Why are you moving to New York? It's so expensive, and it's crazy. I'm like, no, because I've never done it before, and I want to do it. But if I didn't, I would have met James. So I'm definitely a risk taker. I have been my whole life. I've been a survivor. I don't know. I just don't let anything stop me. And I'd like to do things on my own. Where did you get that from? I, I don't know, to be honest. I am the oldest in my family and I have a younger sister, but we're six years apart. So I'm sort of like an only. So I've always been very independent and never really wanted to listen to anybody. And I always wanted to do the things I wanted to do and do it my way. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's just my character. So, and that's one great thing about James is he allows me to be me. He supports that. So I have nobody that uh, tries to confine me. That's amazing. Yeah. Was your first marriage arranged? No, no. I was married when I was 21 the first time. And I was married for 10 years. I didn't have any children from that marriage. I was way too young to get married. And I was really the breadwinner for that marriage. And so I had to pay alimony to, to him when we got divorced. In Texas, if you're married for longer than 10 years, you have to pay alimony. Well, so I had to pay alimony. That wasn't fun. But then with my cousin, we were friends and cousins. And so he, I, he helped me through all that and everything. And then after it all settled down, it was just like, I don't know, it just seemed like he was somebody that I, I thought was amazing and I wanted to get married. So we married. <laughs> and that, like I said, it was an 18-year marriage. But then, unfortunately, he passed away at 50. Now I'm on my third marriage. So, and so is James. We, we figure third time is a charm. <laughs> I love that. I actually have a friend who called me today and she's 62. And she wanted me to help her create a dating profile. She was married for like 
close to 20 years and she wants to get back into the dating scene. And so I was like helping her with that. And I just feel like it's so hard to date later in life. Like, what is that really like? Oh, it's terrible. I think maybe some areas may be better than others, but New York City is just, it's really hard to just even meet people. I love that, that you read his book and then thought he'd be great and then ended up with him. I mean, that's amazing. Well, especially that book, because he just is very transparent and very, you know, he bleeds on paper. And it was just such a great, it just felt so good to just, he felt real. That's so beautiful. So, I mean, my story ended up great. So, but, you know, I do feel for these women that are dating when they're older because it's hard. You know, a lot of men want younger women. It's, it's just sad. I feel like it's hard too, because when you're young, it, it's just different. Like, how quickly should they try to make the moves? How quickly should they invite you over for dinner? Like, Then there's also kids that come into play and like, do they have young kids? Do they have kids out of the house? Like, do you want to travel? Are you okay with me not working? Like if somebody had a homemaker wife the first time, are they okay with that the second time? Right. Uh, It's very complicated. It really is. Because as you get older, your life is more complicated. Tell me about what it was like living abroad. Well, that was exciting. And I, I sort of feel like, after meeting James, it's the same sort of feeling because you wake up not knowing what your day is going to be like. He brings that stimulation to me because it's always something different and new. But yeah, living abroad is just so enlightening. You're able to see things in a, such a different way, especially when you when you repatriate and you come back to your own passport country. Things you see are very different uh, and you have a way different perspective. And my kids are the same. They were very young. I think my oldest was five when he when we moved over there. So I had a five, a three, and a two-year-old. You know, my son just repatriated for the first time about two weeks ago. So he's now back, and he's 21, and he's graduated from college, and he's done all that. But now he's here. So that's exciting. So they all have very different perspectives. And what they call them third-cultured kids because, you know, their parents come from one culture, they're in another culture, and this and that. So living as an American overseas is so great. And you don't realize it when you're here in the States, you don't realize how much people really love us. What are the differences in like day to day over there? Well, which one? So we were in Ghana and China and Kuwait. So in Ghana, we were there for three years and in China for six years and Kuwait for three years. So all three different continents, very different, very. (laughs) So in Kuwait, we lived in a camp right there on the Saudi border and uh, on the water is beautiful. The Gulf there, the Arabian Gulf is amazing and uh, crystal blue water. The people, we lived in a camp of about 125 people or families. Half of them were Saudis and the other half were American or other nationalities that worked for the oil company, you know, that my late husband worked for. And in China, the same thing. I mean, you, that you can do whatever you want, really. Although, you know, we had our drivers, we couldn't drive. And so our drivers were part of 
the military, they're military, ex-military, so they were sort of like spying on us in a way they could hear our conversations. We, we were not allowed to speak in the car. That was sort of the rule from the company. There's a lot of issues there and they stole a lot of intellectual property from the company. While we were there, there were a lot of bad things that happened when we lived in China. And Ghana was amazing. Ghana was very uh, rough in terms of uh, we had no running water uh, or electricity. I had to chase water trucks every other day to get water uh, delivered uh, from these watering holes that just the water was just disgusting. And we had huge filters, water filters that probably would fill up this whole room that would filter that water so that we can at least bathe in it, but we could never drink it even with all that filtering. I had to have like, I had seven employees and my mother would make fun of me, you know, cause I'd be like, Oh God, it's just crazy. And it's hard. And blah, blah, blah. Said, Oh yeah. Right. You know, you have so many people working for you. Well, then she came and visited me for a month and she's like, okay, Rob, I don't know how you do it <laughs> because it takes seven people to function and make a house just sort of normal. Did you ever miss the luxuries of the States? No, actually, no, not really. We liked living in, in rough locations. The company would have us travel every three months to go more of a, to the first world just to get a break. Because yeah, after a while, it is hard. Like I would have to just lock myself in my room for a little while just to not do anything. Because it's like you think for everybody. You think for everybody. And you problem solve and you do that for everyone. So mentally, it's exhausting, especially in West Africa, because my late husband was in the oil business. And so, you know, he or we would have could have gotten taken as a hostage because that's very common. And so we had bodyguards with us all the time. We had a, a safe room and we all slept in one room with the kids and the dog. We had a German Shepherd that was trained and we had a ladder that, you know, for escaping our escape route that we would have to practice with the kids all the time. You're really on guard. Even in China is the same way. Now, I just say in Kuwait, I felt safer there than I do in the States, to be honest. How come? I feel like, like, okay, we lived in a camp and there were three layers of, of security. So there were the... Kuwait security, you go through, you had to go to the Saudi security, and then from there you go through the company security. And I don't know how, what direction it went, but anyway, the three levels. And that camp was actually, that we lived in, it was taken over during, you know, the wars that went on there. We would hear, like, these, the helicopters or these, I don't know, the, I think they were like the Black Hawks, and it's like, it's a, it's a sound that, like, I know a lot of people that are in the military are experience this all the time. But as a civilian, you don't get to experience stuff like this. But that sound just rumbles. You knew exactly what it was. And the weird thing is, is that you, you don't hear anything. And all of a sudden, you hear it. And then there it is. It's like they turn off a sound or something. It's like you would have thought you could see it from a long ways. And, and you could hear it coming. It's just very silent, but all of a sudden it's, it's just loud and it's right there. It made you feel very patriotic, you know, seeing a lot of our military was there. We saw the big ships that would come in because they passed right by our house. 
I love the stories. I mean, such a unique experience. I want to know, like, how did you entertain your kids over there? Like, you weren't taking them to Chuck E. Cheese. No, no. In Kuwait, uh, we had a big camp. And so there were tons of families. So they would go to school. Uh, they would have, a, they would come back tired, but they we would always have parties on the weekends. They all had their friends. They went to an American school. Most of the kids were from our camp. They have great memories, I think. Were you ever like sick of security following you around? No, we didn't have security in China. We, we did have our drivers that were so kind of planted. So, did you make different kinds of food in each place? So yeah, the Ghanaian food, we had that, but we also had our American food. One of the perks of living overseas is that you do have help. And we had cooks that helped us, you know, so we were able to eat the food from that region. And then also we taught them how to make American food as well. It sounds pretty glamorous, but it's really not. <laughs> how do you think it's influenced your children? My kids have an American accent, but they look American, but they have a very different perspective. One interesting thing that happened to my daughter, like the first day of high school, she, her name's Lily, and she came home crying. And I said, what's, what's wrong? And she says, well, she went to a school, a high school in Harlem, a public high school. And her teacher said the first day of school that, you know, I want to tell everybody, you know, I am not from a lily white neighborhood. And my daughter was one of the only Caucasian girls in class. She thought that he was talking about her, like lily white. And so she was devastated when she came home. She's like, he used me as an example, you know? So she was horrified. But I said, no, 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 no. That's just an expression here. Well, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you too. And I will send you the cut so you can have it. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, have a wonderful night. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I cannot wait for my dad's response. Here we go. This is the story of Robin, and uh, what an interesting adventures she's been on in her life. What did you think of her reading the book and then marrying the author? I thought that was incredible, is that she found uh, that reading the book, she was able to understand what he was all about, his traits of being also transparent and honest, and where he, she, she could really feel his essence and uh, what was very interesting is they were both going out with different people at the time and she read his book was very intrigued with him as a person and uh, was able to have a conversation at a book signing and meeting and they seemed to have gotten along really really well and made that connection in real life as well i think they're very very similar i think it's a good match Here's a little bonus footage. What type of seeds would I plant? If I could plant anything, I would plant brownies. They would have purple, light blue, and pink icing with silver sparkles in it. The icing would be magical. I would buy the seeds from a magical rainbow shop. When I ate the magical brownies, it would give me the power to fly and have magical powers.
I want to tell you about UMAP, a program that shows people who they are and how they'll be most successful. Not only did it win the 2020 Career Innovators Award from Career Directors International, but 100% of UMAP certified coaches recommend the program. Let's hear from the creator of UMAP, Kristen Sherry. This is Kristen Sherry, creator of the UMAP profile. What I love most about my job is all the messages I receive from people around the world who have experienced transformation from UMAP. Just today, I received an email that said, this report is amazingly accurate. You guys nailed it. I should have pursued the career that I used to pretend when I was a young girl, a news reporter. I deeply appreciate all the knowledge and ingenuity that Kristen put into creating this UMAP tool. I now feel a sense of relief that I have found myself again. Are you a coach, a consultant, a leader, or an HR professional who wants to hear your employees or clients have these similar breakthroughs? Consider joining the UMAP certification. All the coaches who go through our program always say the same thing. Of all the certifications I have, this one is by far the most valuable. And the UMAP profile was awarded the 2020 Career Innovation Award by Career Directors International. Visit myumap.com for more information. Information is power. You can find out more information on UMapping and Kristen's various books at bettercalldaddy.com. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.